Grace and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We all love a good rags to riches story. We love good rags to royalty storylines. It's one of the most overused tropes in our culture. We like to think that in everyone there is some kind of hidden glory that needs to be revealed given the right circumstances. Lady and the Tramp, Beauty and the Beast, She's All That. All of these movies, these great films have something in common. Any 90s people out there, She's All That, right? The list is a really, really long one. You have all these movies, these books, these TV shows in which there is a character who is unlovable but goes through this radical transformation and becomes who they truly are so that the world might behold and marvel. Their hidden glory gets revealed. We have this absolute glut of shows. Uh, Shows like American Pickers, Property Brothers, Fixer Upper, American Restoration. The list is extremely long. I looked it up. There is no way I can cover all of those shows in just this short amount of time. They reveal this fascination that we have in our culture with hidden glory. We are glory addicts. What do I mean by this? Well, perhaps you can think of an instance where uh, you might have looked at an object a thousand times before, but for whatever reason, one day you see it and you see it differently. For some reason, whenever you look at it one more time, you truly see it. You see the beauty. You see the detail. You see the hidden beauty that wasn't there before. We love to see things restored to their original glory. We love to see the original artistry of something just come out and captivate us. We love to see people and objects become something more than they were previously. We love this. We use phrases like this. We say, he's a diamond in the rough. What do we mean by that? Well, we're saying that there's hidden potential in this person that's just waiting to come out given the right circumstances. We talk about people this way. And as we commemorate today the the transfiguration of our Lord, today's gospel reading ought to capture our attention for very similar reasons. We are glory addicts. In this bizarre event on top of this mountain, Jesus pulls back the veil just enough for His closest disciples to get a glimpse of of this glory that has been hidden for most of Luke's gospel up until now. In addition to this, you see Jesus have this divine conversation with some really strange company that he keeps. And Luke's Luke's gospel tells us the exact nature of that conversation, which we're going to get into. See, not only is Jesus the very glory of God revealed in a flesh and blood person, but what He would go on to accomplish for us in history would reveal His glory to the world. That glory which was hidden for ages, but has now been manifested in His redemptive work. See, the transfiguration is one of those key moments, those key events in the ministry of Jesus that bears witness to Jesus' identity and what He came to do for us, what He came to accomplish for us. In this event, we're not, just, we're not seeing some magic trick. We're not seeing smoke and mirrors. But we are seeing Jesus 
as he truly is. As one commentator put it, one commentator said, it's not an illusion or a distortion, but the truth. It is the truth that we are seeing. Here we see the one who does not exploit his own glory, one who does not exploit the glory that is truly his for his own selfish gain, but rather he veils it for the distinct purpose of accomplishing our salvation. So today we join with Peter, James, and John. We take a little camping trip up this mysterious mountain. We're going to see the glory of Jesus just a little bit. That glory that He permits His disciples to peer into just for a few moments. We'll try to get our minds around the scene as best we can. And with God's help, we're going to see what the implications are here for our lives. So verse 28 begins this way. Now about eight days after these sayings, He took with Him Peter and John and James and He went up on a mountain to pray. Eight days after which sayings? It says eight days after the sayings. So which sayings? Well, in the previous verses, namely verse 27, Jesus had said that there were some among them who would not taste death until they had seen the kingdom of God. He was talking to his disciples. He said, there are some here who will not taste death until they have seen the kingdom of God. It's safe to assume that these three, Peter, James, and John, were about to see that very thing. The kingdom of God in the transfigured Jesus. So he took these guys up the mountain with him because not only were they his closest friends, but because they had also borne witness to Jesus raising Jairus' daughter. They were also there for that event. And their witness to these events was important because there was a precedent that was set by Scripture that a testimony was to be supported by two or three witnesses. And it's fitting that this took place on a mountain. It's no coincidence. It ought to catch our attention because when God wants to do something really big, He often does it where? On a mountain. And what did Peter and the others see up there? The text says, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. It seems that the disciples were certainly not sure what they were seeing. As the text says that they were fading in and out of sleep, it's, it's pretty likely that this event occurred at night. We usually don't think of it that way. It's probably true that it occurred at night. They were sleeping. And what we're seeing here, brothers and sisters, is Jesus peeling back the veil just enough for the disciples to behold His true glory. The glory that He veils during His incarnation in His earthly ministry. When Jesus steps into human history and He takes on flesh, that glory of God is veiled in human flesh. And now here He is peeling it back just enough. This blinding white light of his body and of his clothes tells us that he is the very glory of God in a person, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. In the book of Exodus, 
We saw this from our Old Testament reading today. In the book of Exodus, God speaks, uh, Moses speaks with God where? On a mountain. On a mountain. Moses spoke with God on a mountain uh, whenever he went to receive the law on Mount Sinai. He spoke with God there. His face shone for several days afterward as a result. But it was a glory that ultimately faded. It faded because it was a second-hand reflection. Jesus' glory, however, never fades. He is the source of this glory. As He is God in flesh. He is the very source of the glory of God. And speaking of Moses, did you see him in the story today? There he is on the mountain. He and Elijah. The two premier prophets of the Old Testament. Conversing with Jesus. Both of these men were permitted, to, uh, they were permitted by God to hold this divine conversation And the disciples managed to hear just little bits. So what about Moses and Elijah? Well, during their respective ministries, they both looked eagerly towards the day when the Messiah would come and deliver God's salvation. They both did. So what exactly were they talking about? Well, Luke's gospel is very unique in in the inclusion of this detail. The other Gospels, uh, Matthew and Mark, don't include this detail, but Luke does. They were talking about Jesus' departure. Literally translated into the word exodus. Exodus. This exodus that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Both Moses and Elijah saw God do amazing things on mountains in the Old Testament. And now here they were bearing witness that God was about to bring a true exodus on Calvary's mountain. God's Messiah was going to deliver this salvation that was long ago promised through the prophets. There's further connections here. Through Moses, God brought about the redemption of Israel. But Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the true redeemer of God's people. Because of his death and his resurrection, he leads us into the promised land of the kingdom of God. What about Elijah? Well, it was through the ministry of Elijah that God defeated the prophets of Baal on a mountain. But Jesus is the greater Elijah. The greater Elijah who crushes all of our false gods, including the God of this world, the devil, And he crushes them all beneath his nail-scarred feet on another mountain, Calvary's mountain. And soon after this event, he would go on to do that. He would do just that for you and for me. And that's what these glorified prophets show up to talk about. This is what they're discussing. Did you see Peter's reaction? God bless Peter. He was so thrilled about it that uh, he doesn't see any reason why they should leave. In fact, he wants to build a tent. Build a tent for you, Jesus, and for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Luke, Luke actually notes in the Gospel, he says, Peter didn't know what he was saying. 
says that in the scripture. He didn't know what he was saying. And as Peter's talking, we have this interruption, this divine interruption from God, the Father himself. You have a cloud that envelops all of them while Peter's still yammering on. Now in the scriptures, clouds are often a direct reference to the very real presence of God. Think of the pillar of cloud that you see in Exodus where God leads his people by a pillar of cloud. You see the cloud on Mount Sinai. You see the clouds that cover the the tabernacle and later the temple. Now in Jesus, you have a new tabernacle. You have a new temple. It is in the flesh and blood of Jesus the Christ that the glory of God is made manifest. And there are two voices going on here which are contrasted with one another. you got two voices. You have the very human and very flawed voice of Peter. And then you have the voice of God. Peter, who is confused and doesn't know what he's saying, but is trying his best to put two and two together. And then God shows up to bring clarity to the situation. I know that you don't know what you're saying, Peter, but let me tell you what this is about. And God speaks. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. I think that we're a lot like Peter in more ways than one. Peter's always the sermon illustration, right? He's always the illustration for how we get stuff wrong. It's it's no different here. We don't know quite what to say when we encounter the holy. We tend to want to prolong the experience, like Rachel was saying earlier. We, We want to drag it out. We want to stay there as long as we can. We might say foolish things that we'll later come to regret. Maybe... Maybe we buy into the notion that the Christian life and the Christian experience is just one mountaintop experience after another mountaintop experience in which we get to say, Lord, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. But while they would not understand this right away, Jesus Jesus allowed those disciples, Peter, James, and John, to look upon His unveiled majesty because the resurrection is what would make it all plain to them. They didn't understand it at the time. That's why they told no one about it. They didn't understand it. It didn't become apparent to them until Jesus was raised. Before such glory would be manifested in its fullness, there would be suffering. There would be the cross. Peter probably would have kept talking, but God interrupted him. He had to redirect him to Jesus. Only Jesus, the one to whom all human history is pointing, the one whom this whole thing is about, Jesus. Because unlike those rags-to-riches stories that we talked about in which the main character is unwilling they're unwillingly unlovable, so to speak. Jesus veiled his glory intentionally so that we might become glorious like him. 
He did not grasp on to the divine glory that was rightfully His, but He became nothing. He took on our flesh so that you and I would be redeemed. That's what Philippians chapter 2 says. Think of our everyday Christian experience. Think about what we see in our everyday lives. The, the glory of Jesus is it's hidden to our eyes. It's veiled to us. But one day we will see it. We will see it with unveiled face in eternity. We look around at the horrors of this world. We look at the stuff going on in Ukraine. We look at the stuff that troubles us here and now. And we wonder, what is Jesus up to? But Scripture assures us, it assures us that Jesus is bringing all His enemies into subjection under His feet. It's hidden to our eyes right now, but one day we're going to see it in full. And just as Jesus would go to the cross before He took up His resurrection glory, we too gladly bear our crosses in our vocations, knowing that eternal life is also what wait, waits for us. Wherever God has placed you in your various callings, whether it's in your families, whether it's in the places that you live, the places that you play, the places that you eat, whether it's in your jobs, the jobs that He's given to you. These are all your vocations, your callings. He has you there so that you, the forgiven and redeemed sinner, might reflect His glory and His forgiveness to this world that so desperately needs it. Just as Jesus' glory is hidden to us right now, He also hides Himself in you. He hides Himself through you as you serve your neighbor through those vocations. Jesus is serving them through you. And where else has Jesus hidden Himself? Not only for our good, but where has He hidden Himself for our forgiveness? In holy baptism, the presence of God overshadowed you in the watery cloud. You were led through the Red Sea, your own exodus and granted eternal life in God's kingdom. That kingdom that was manifested on that same mountain of transfiguration. In the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Jesus, where the glory of God is veiled in flesh, are given to us Christians to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins. And in the Lord's Word, in the Lord's Word, you and I can speak with Moses and Elijah, and most importantly, with Christ. As you and I carry on in the divine conversation, Jesus Christ's redemption of the world, that's the conversation that God is communicating to us. When we speak the Lord's Word, we are unveiling His glory to one another and to the world that needs to hear, this is my Son. Listen to Him. So these three disciples were allowed such a vision. They were allowed this vision so that they would be strengthened for that road ahead. It was not going to be easy. They would suffer along with their Savior. And we too have those encounters. We have those encounters with divine glory. The, the Word made flesh in Jesus so that we have endurance to press on. To press on to the glory that awaits us in eternity. That glory that awaits us in the resurrection unto eternal life that life of the world to come, which we confess.
So may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and unto the day of eternity. Amen.